Hey Life Canton, Roger here. I'm a student director. If you hear a little bit of background noise, I apologize about it. I'm recording in a different location than I usually do. But either way, welcome to our podcast. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a new listener, welcome. Uh, be sure to hit that subscribe and follow us. Either way, God is doing so much in this community, in this church. And if you want to be a part of that, if you want to participate in the work He is doing, we always invite you to give. You can give online our now page today we are starting to wrap up our 21 days of prayer series uh, today's message is given by pastor jared and he does uh, ends with a, a discussion of what it means to know god and you'll hear more about that but uh enjoy the message and uh, i'll talk to you in a little bit amen you can be seated Welcome to Life Canton. My name is Jared, and I am one of the pastors here, and we are glad that you are with us, both in the room and watching online. And if you are in the room, you have a Connect card. We'd love for you to fill that out, get connected. And if you're online, you can let us know in the comments section. We are in a series called 21 Days of Prayer. I hope that's been going well for you. For those of you who have engaged in the variety of different ways, coming on Sunday nights, uh, there's some stuff on our Now page maybe that you've been looking at. Uh, We hope it's been good and a transformative experience for you as well. Also, I I feel like I just need to say this. I don't know if you were here last week or not, um, or if you got an opportunity to listen back to the message from last week, but there was an intensity to it. Right? There, there was a, a movement in what Nathan was talking to us about that I think needs to not go unnoticed, but also needs to be carried into uh, what it is that we're talking about today and beyond. But he talked about repentance leading to unity and then revival, which is what uh, we see God doing in his kingdom here and among us doing new things. There's a beauty and an intensity to it uh, that left us wanting more. Uh, So I hope you're in that place as well. We're going to continue that momentum. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, please go back and do so. Before I go too much further, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever had some kind of an encounter with a famous person, a celebrity of some kind? Uh, Maybe you ran into them at the airport or you saw them from a distance, or maybe uh, you, you saw them in a parking lot once and decided to get in your car and follow them a little while. I don't know who would do that. I certainly would never do that either. And maybe it was, you know, like an athlete or an actor, actress, famous musician, whatever it might be. But then... After you had that encounter, whatever it looked like, later on there was a conversation that maybe some friends or family were having, and that person came up in conversation, and you immediately interrupted with, I know them, I I know them. And everybody looks at you like awkward, like, really, you do? With skepticism in their face, like, you know them? Okay, sure, tell us more. And then you find yourself in this uncomfortable, awkward position of having to sort of back up from the conversation and be like, well, I mean, I... I saw them from like 30 feet away at an airport once, so I kind of know them, right? Like, what do we mean when we say we know somebody? Especially when it comes to a famous person, a celebrity. What do we mean when we say we know them? Do we really know them? Or do you just maybe know about them, you don't actually know, know them? There's different levels to knowing, right? And I would say knowing is a two-way street. We might know somebody, but do they know us? Or we might know about somebody, do they know us? What does it mean to truly know somebody? Specifically, as we're talking about this priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17 that we're going to look at, there's all kinds of knowing that is being talked about. And 
when it comes to your individual, your personal relationship with Jesus, would you say that you truly know him? Do you know him? Is it even possible to truly know him in that kind of way? Or is maybe Jesus just kind of like a celebrity? Like, ah, oh, yeah, I, I saw Jesus once from 30 feet away, or I read a Bible verse once, or I, I went to a church one time. Do we really know him? I want to look at this verse together. If you will join me in John 17, if you have a Bible or if you have it on your phone, uh, we're in John 17, verse 25 and 26. If you don't, uh, it's always on the screens and you can follow along in that way. But I want to talk about Jesus' priestly prayer in regards to what it means to know him or know God. It's real short, so we're just going to break it down piece by piece. Verse 25. O righteous Father, The world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. We're going to stop there. Talk about just that for a little bit. Oh, righteous Father, Jesus is praying. He's finishing up his priestly prayer. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. In other words, I know you. And the disciples, they know that you sent me. So just a quick little recap, a reminder of where we've been. In the first week of the series, we talked about the fact that this is a priestly prayer. Much of how this prayer is uh, organized or formatted looks exactly like this priestly function that would have taken place in the Old Testament with the sacrificial system and all of this other detail and symbolism that took place all before Jesus even shows up on the scene. And it's, it's this really clunky system, but it was all there for the purpose of the people getting to know God. And a priest was a mediator, an intercessor. They were a sort of a go-between between the people and God. But again, all for the sake of knowing God, connecting to God. And then Jesus shows up and all of that changes. That clunky system goes away. But even still, it's, it's still hard to really know who God is, even if you know Jesus. So how do we really know him? Can we really know him? And I think about this idea of of truly knowing anybody. Like if we were to back up and ask the question, can you truly know anybody? I've had an opportunity and a privilege over my about 15, 16 years of doing pastoral ministry to meet with a lot of different people and meet with married couples and actually married couples who have sat across from me who are struggling in their marriage. They've been married for 10, 15, 20 years in some cases. And sometimes they'll use this phrase, I feel like I just don't know them anymore. Really? After 15, 20 years, you still don't feel like you know them or you don't know them anymore? Like, what do we mean when we say we know them? This word, know, has some interesting elements to it. It's mentioned twice explicitly, but we could assume sort of a third time. The world doesn't know you, but I do. In other words, I, I do know you, and then the disciples know you sent me. What does this word mean? Well, in the Greek, which is what this text was originally written in, the word is egnon or egno. There's different variations. They both essentially mean the same thing. Egnon or egno, not egnog. So I just want to be clear on that one. Uh, egno, which you can kind of see how we get to know from egno. And it means what you think it means. It means to know, to, to have a full cognitive awareness about or of something or someone. So you know, you know something. And that's essentially what it means right here in this particular text. But I want you to see how the sentence is structured in what Jesus is doing here to talk about the variations of knowing. 
So he starts off with saying, the world does not agno you. I do agno you, but the disciples know, agno, that you sent me. There's a change there. It's not, the world doesn't know you, I know you, and the disciples know you too. No, no, no. I know you, but the disciples, all they know is they just know that you sent me. So there's a different kind of agno or knowing that's happening with the disciples. In other words, they don't fully know God yet in the same way that Jesus knows the Father. There's an incomplete knowing that needs to be made more complete. And here's why I think that's the case. If we go right into the very next verse, in verse 26, the first portion of this verse says this. Jesus is still praying, talking to the Father. He says, I have revealed you, Father, to them, and I will continue to do so. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. In other words, there's still more there. There's still more. There's a revelation that has happened, but it didn't just stop there. It's not as though Jesus showed up, talked about God, and it was like, ta-da, that's it. You got everything you need. Uh, I'll be on my way now. You've got everything you need to know about God. No, no, no. There's more there. There's more. I have revealed, and I will continue to do so. Why? So that the knowing keeps on happening and keeps on growing because Jesus is showing that God is a relational God. Our God is not some mathematical equation like one plus one equals two, where once you know that equation, that's pretty much it. Like, that's it. One plus one equals two. There's no more complexity to the equation than that. But see, God is a relational God. There is more mystery and complexity and nuance to knowing him. He's not some mathematical equation. It's more art than science. He's not just something that needs to be figured out or solved or explained. See, God shows up as a person through Jesus. And people, what do we know about people? They're not easily explained. (laughs) They're not something you just solve. It's not just facts and figures. In other words, where the disciples are right now, they know that Jesus was sent by the Father God. They know some facts and figures, but they don't know God yet in the way that Jesus knows the Father. Well, let me ask you, how does that kind of knowing, that extra layer, if you will, of knowing happen? How do we even begin to know God in the way that Jesus knows God the Father? Well, how we typically respond to that is we say, well, more facts and figures. Get more knowledge. Get more cognitive awareness about things. Read more facts. Understand more figures. In other words, what we do is, I want to show you this image. We have what our friend Kevin Butcher, who joined us last December, talked about as left brain responses. In other words, we think very analytically, very ordered and structured. That, that's where we tend to go, and, and especially in our relationship with God, as we just think, well, if I don't really know God yet, well, how do I begin to know him? Well, I guess I, I got to fill it with more words, with more facts and more figures. I've got to have more equations to get more access to cognitive awareness of who God is. And we spend all of our time doing more stuff. When in reality, there's so much more to it than that. 
God is not a simple equation that we figure out, that we explain. In other words, the problem is, is we spend so much time on expert knowledge that we miss out on experiential knowledge, especially when it relates to prayer. See, sometimes what we'll do in prayer is we just, we talk. We, we talk at God. We just, we, we rattle off a bunch of facts and figures. And the more smarter you are about the Bible or you read more books, you can say more facts and figures in your prayer and sound really fancy. And then what we do is we actually set up other people, newer people to the faith. We set them up for failure because we think that that's actually what prayer has to look like, is just sounding really cool and saying lots of really Christian-y stuff. Expert knowledge. But we miss out then on experiential knowledge. What am I talking about? Sometimes people will use this phrase, moving from your head to your heart. There's head knowledge and there's heart knowledge. We just had a song that we sang about. I actually uh, was introduced to this phrase for the first time with a pastor of mine that I, when I first started in ministry, when I first started at this church, I was in student ministries and there was a pastor that would speak regularly. His name was Derek Rust and his name still is Derek actually. He didn't change it, but he's, he's from, I think, Manchester, England and had this really thick British accent, which was just really endearing. And, and you know, every time he would talk, of course, everybody wanted to listen because it was just that kind of a voice. He also was just a great charismatic figure and, and very lovable, very personable. But he would always talk about this, this idea of having head knowledge and heart knowledge as well. He would just say in so many of his messages, guys, you got to know God loves you so much, but not just know it in your head. You've got to have the 12-inch drop from your head to your heart. You know, and of course, everybody laughs and responds just like you do. But at the same time, we're just like, just because of the way you said it, I believe you, Derek, right? Like you just want to believe him, even if he didn't, but just because of the way that he presented it. But he was so passionate about this, specifically in the area where we were. There was a lot of Lutheran and Catholic background, which isn't wrong in and of itself. It's just that in those expressions of worship and faith, there tended to be a limiting relationship or even knowledge about the presence of the Holy Spirit, the experiential knowing of God. And Pastor Derek would always talk about head to the heart, knowledge, and then he'd follow up with the presence of the Holy Spirit. He'd teach us about the presence and the power and the movement, the dynamic nature of the Holy Spirit, this experiential knowing of who God is. Now, here's the thing. In this particular text, Jesus says, I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Now, if you're familiar with any of the scriptures, all you have to do in my Bible is turn one more page, and Jesus dies. Like, he's about to die when he's praying this prayer. And he's actually been talking about this for a while with his disciples. He's been preparing them for this moment that he's going to go away. And they're all asking, where are you going to go? And why can't we join you? He's going away. So if he's saying, I have revealed you, God, to them, the disciples, and I will continue to do so, any disciple listening to this prayer is going to be like, yeah, how are you going to do that? You also said you're going away. So how are we going to keep knowing about who God is if you're not going to be with us? He spends the whole chapter before talking about the Holy Spirit, this comforter, this counselor, this one who will be with you 
leading you into truth, helping us to experience, not just have expert knowledge, but experiential knowledge of who God is, and especially in our prayers. Later on in the New Testament, there's this church planter or apostle named Paul who talks about the interaction that the Holy Spirit brings in our prayers, that when we call out to God, sometimes we don't even know what to say. But the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf in groans that cannot be expressed in words. Sometimes you don't know what to pray. It's where the Holy Spirit's power shows up. I want to ask you a question. When you pray, do you experience the presence of the Holy Spirit? Are you aware that the Spirit of God is with you? Maybe sometimes prayer has been a struggle because You're just not sure of all the words to say or you feel this pressure that you have to say the right words or say some kind of formula. Maybe if you're having trouble having this experiential knowledge of God inviting the Holy Spirit, maybe you just need to stop talking. Release yourself from the pressure to have to say all of the right things, to cognitively know all of the expert phrases and words. How do you begin to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit? Sometimes, for me, just stop talking. And listen. That's really hard for us to do. And sometimes, you just need to breathe and pay attention to your breath to actually intentionally think about inhaling and exhaling. Now, that might sound weird for me to even say that, but here's the thing. Our culture, we are so driven to go all the time, never stop. You're so pressured to move at lightning speed that you don't even stop to think about your own self-awareness and your breath that at times you find yourself feeling so constricted and anxious in your chest that you realize, oh, I have to, I have to breathe to allow oxygen to enter my body, one of the names for the Holy Spirit is breath. Stop talking. Breathe. Meditate on the words of God. And just be. That's how we begin to transform our knowledge from our head to our heart. It's an experiential knowing that starts to transform us from the inside out. Some of you, I could stop right there and you're like, that's all I need. That's what I needed for today. And you're good to go. And that's great. But for some of you, especially as we've gone throughout this 21 days of prayer, some of you are like, yeah, I I, I know all of that. And and I'm, I'm trying to experience all of that, but there's still just something in the way. It, It still feels like there's a, a blockage in my heart that I can't seem to overcome. And you're like, what, Jared, what do I do? I, I'm trying to experience the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to pray, but there just seems like, it just seems like my words and even my listening are just hitting a brick wall and it's not going anywhere. 
What do you do then? I mentioned this Greek word, egnon or egno. It's used uh, a variety of different times in this particular passage, but also a lot throughout the rest of the New Testament. And it means pretty much the same thing every single time. It means cognitive awareness, knowledge of something or someone. In pretty much every single case except for one. This Greek word egno gets used in one other place, but it doesn't translate to the English word no, as in K-N-O-W. It gets translated differently. I want to read this section of Scripture and see if you can sense or hear where this Greek word egno might have shown up. It's in a story in Mark chapter 5, verses 25 to 29. It's a story where Jesus is interacting with somebody, and it goes like this. There's a woman in the crowd. She had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She'd suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For She thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And immediately the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Where do you think this Greek word egno shows up? For those of you who can see the screen, I give you a little bit of a hint. It's bolded and italicized, but I love the way this is phrased by Mark. She could feel it in her body. All of that is the word egno. There are different kinds of knowing God. She knew God through the healing touch of Jesus in her body. Is that okay? Can we talk about that? Are we allowed to talk about it? I thought it, it's just the head and just the heart. We, we can actually talk about feelings and emotions and sensations in our body? Absolutely. God wants to do something so powerfully in us in regards to knowing him that it goes beyond just cognitive awareness, that it goes beyond just the head to the heart transformation, but that it even goes still into our bodies. We can feel it in our bodies kind of knowledge of God. But things get in the way. Things get in the way of us knowing God. And in this case, for this woman, this is what we would call trauma. Trauma stands in the way of us knowing God. We might experience some head knowledge, maybe even some heart knowledge, but there's some things going on in our body that keep us from knowing God fully. And in some cases, it might be trauma. What is trauma? It shows up in a variety of different ways, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, sometimes racial trauma. And some of you, before you check out, some of you are maybe even thinking, 
Ah, oh, this word trauma. It's, it's, it's just become a buzzword in our culture now. It's just, it's just overused. Everybody uses the word trauma. And, and now it's getting to the point where if I get, you know, two pumps of caramel shots in my caramel macchiato instead of one, I'm experiencing trauma and I don't know if I can believe in God anymore. Like, I, I get it. Sometimes words get out of control. But I want to I invite you to join into this with me, if you will. Here's the thing. I... I'm trying to wrestle with my own journey of discovery and trying to think what trauma might have I experienced? Have I experienced any kind of trauma? And I don't know that I have any clear solutions just yet or ideas about what that looks like. But here's the thing. If you're in that same place, if you're like, oh, this, this part of the sermon doesn't apply to me. So I, I don't have any trauma. I've never, never experienced it. So I can check out at this point. Here's what I would say. On our wall, on that sign, one of our codes is you belong. And the way that we've talked about this several times now is if you belong to God, then you belong to us and we belong to each other. And that means it's no longer just about me. That means even if I don't experience a certain kind of thing, whether it be trauma or anything else, I can be pretty sure that somebody else in our community might be struggling with some kind of thing. And it's important that if we belong to each other, then then I need to learn to empathize with my brother and with my sister who is experiencing something that I've never experienced before. Come alongside them. Mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep. I want to talk about trauma for just a second. I tried to figure out, you know, is there a way that I could just sum up what I've learned about it so far? And then I thought, you know, let's just go straight to the source. And there's a book that I've been reading that talks about this a great deal. I want to read a couple chunks of, chunks of it here. It's, a, it's kind of a lot, so bear with me. But this is a book called My Grandmother's Hands. And it's about trauma. Specifically, he keys in on racialized trauma. But there's a whole wide audience that could read this book as well. It's really important. I want to look at some of his introductory uh, sentences and words about trauma Let's see if we can find ourselves in this story just a little bit. He says, New advances in psychobiology reveal that our deepest emotions, love, fear, anger, dread, sorrow, disgust, and hope, involve the activation of our bodily structures. These structures, a complex system of nerves, connect the brain stem, the pharynx, the heart, the lungs, the stomach, the gut, and the spine. He goes on to talk about how that impacts the body. The body is where we live. It's where we fear, hope, and react. It's where we constrict and relax. And what the body most cares about are safety and survival. When something happens to the body that is too much, too fast, or too soon, it overwhelms the body and can create trauma. Now, contrary to what many people believe, trauma is not primarily an emotional response. Trauma always happens in the body. It's a spontaneous protective mechanism used by the body to stop or to thwart further or potential uh, future potential damage. Trauma is not a flaw or a weakness. It is a highly effective tool of safety and survival. Trauma is also not just an event. It is the body's protective response to an event or a series of events that it perceives as potentially dangerous. Then this is the last part. An embedded trauma response can manifest as fight, flee, or freeze. 
or as some combination of constriction, pain, fear, dread, anxiety, unpleasant or sometimes pleasant, thoughts, reactive behaviors, or other sensations and experiences. This trauma then gets stuck in our bodies, and it stays stuck until it is addressed. As I think about this woman's experience that we read about in Mark, there's intense trauma, physical trauma, in her body, an internal bleeding for 12 years. It's stuck there. And I imagine it has gotten in the way of her knowing God. And it's not just a physical kind of trauma. There's so much more that isn't necessarily mentioned in the text. We've got to look at the context as well. So here's the thing that you need to understand about what's going on here is that a woman in this particular case and in this culture, if she was bleeding, she is automatically considered unclean by her community. So she has to be cast away from the rest of the community. Physically, there has to be a physical distance between her and the rest of the community. So not only is she now dealing with a physical issue that is now prolonged, but now there is a social trauma that has taken place. She is an outcast from her community. And then on top of that, there's an economic trauma. She has spent everything she has to try to fix this issue, but it's not working. And then on top of that, there's probably a religious and spiritual trauma as well, because any priest or rabbi that's going to intervene or try to show any kind of pastoral care for this woman, they can't do that because then they might too become unclean, and then that prohibits them from doing their religious functions. So now she's got physical trauma, economic trauma, social trauma, religious trauma, spiritual trauma, and on top of that, I would bet she has a little bit of mental trauma. All of the lies that are coming into her head now, like, well, maybe this is just the way I'm supposed to be. For 12 years, it's not going away. It's not going to go away. But there's a turn in the story, a response to her trauma, and it becomes addressed. She had heard about Jesus, cognitive awareness. She was aware. There was some knowledge about Jesus. But she thought, with all of her trauma, if I could just get to Jesus, but I don't even want him to see me in this crowd, so I'm going to come up from behind him because I have dealt with so much trauma, and I don't even want to touch him. If I can just touch his robe, then I'll be healed. And she is. And she goes from hearing about Jesus to now feeling it in her body, knowing Jesus. Do you know God in this way? I think about her phrase, if I could just touch. Do you reach out? to God in this way? Is there a desperation in your prayer, if you will? If I could just talk to him, if he could just hear me, if I could just share what's really on my heart and my mind and in my body, then I can truly know him. 
Jesus isn't just some celebrity that we saw from 30 feet away. Now, he's a part of me. Is there any of you, are there any of you who have been trying to connect with God, to know God more, but something is standing in the way? There's a blockage. And your whole body constricts. Could there be some trauma? Trauma shows up in a variety of different ways. It could be a broken relationship. Maybe there's abuse, past and present. Maybe there's chronic illness. Maybe you're constantly being overlooked at work over and over again. Maybe you're bullied at school. Maybe the stories of school shootings or the threat of school shootings constantly puts you in this state of fear. Or maybe there's a constant pressure to get married for those of you who are single. And you're just told that you're not enough unless you're married. And then once you get married, well, you're not enough unless you have a kid. And then when you have one kid, well, you need to have another kid. And so you just constantly hear this lie that you're just not going to be enough. Maybe that's beginning to do something within you and within your body. Or maybe, as I've been learning continually about this book, maybe there is trauma that shows up in a slightly different way. Maybe for those of you who are in a black and brown body, every time you get behind the driver's seat of a car, there's something that you experience. Or you try to apply for a home loan, or you go to a job interview, or you send your kid in the car to go somewhere. Trauma is experienced in a variety of different ways. And there's no easy, simple, clear, nice and neat answers to any of these things. But I wonder if we could talk about where to start. There's some head knowledge, and that's good. To know the scriptures, absolutely. To, to learn more about Jesus, yes, yes, do that. Is there also some experiential knowledge that is beginning to take shape in you? An invitation to the Holy Spirit to begin to move and shape and form who you're becoming. But also, is there a desperate cry out to God to heal you in your body? To truly know Him in a whole new way? How do we do this? Let's finish with these verses. He says, I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Why? Why do we need to continue to have a constant revelation of who God is? Why? Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. I think there's some intentionality to the way Jesus phrases things. God's love will be in us. Not just our heads, not just our hearts, our whole bodies. Our whole self becomes redeemed by the love of God. It will enter into us. And then on top of that, Jesus says, and I will be in them. That's a mystery that we need a whole new series just to unpack. Jesus wants to be 
in us, and his love will be in us. But here's the thing, it's not just in us individually, it's in them, right? There is a them there in the sentence. In other words, you cannot experience healing just by you mustering up the courage and doing it all yourself. No, an experience of that kind of love, an experience of that kind of knowing has to take place in community. And here's the good news, is if trauma can get stuck in our bodies, then guess what? So can love. So can Jesus. He gets stuck in there, but then he just overflows out, and his love overflows out, and we begin to shape and change and interact and impact other people as well. This is a different kind of knowing God. To feel it in our bodies. And I just keep thinking back to Nathan's sermon from last week. If we want unity and we want revival, what if, what if all of that could take place simply by us knowing God? And I don't just mean knowing about God. I mean know, know in our heads, in our hearts, in our bodies. How can we do this? I want to give you just two action steps immediately. And I want to be clear. This is not a quick mathematical equation. It is not easily solved, and it's not something you need to explain away. But I want us to start with this. First step. Pray experientially. Invite the Holy Spirit to be present, but then make it a habit to become aware of the movement of the Holy Spirit. Begin to experience your knowledge of God. Breathe. Stop talking. Take your time. Pray experientially. There's no simple steps. I'm not going to give you another book to read because that would be antithetical to everything I just said. But just go. Pray experientially. And then secondly, pray in community. Do not do this alone. Pray in community. That's why for the last couple Sunday nights, we've been coming together for an hour and praying corporately community. Healing takes place. Reconciliation takes place. Renewal, restoration takes place when we pray in community. Another way to get involved in community? Come tonight. Come tonight for prayer. It's our last time for that, for, throughout this series. From 6.30 to 7.30, we're going to be praying together. Nathan and I have already been talking about what that time is going to look like, and I'm really excited for what we're going to do. But also, a really easy step that you can take. If you are not in a group, you saw a whole bunch of people in blue shirts out there because we are trying to get your attention. Get in a group. You belong. You experience belonging when you are doing this thing together. You can find out in the lobby about all of the different groups that you can engage with so that you can begin to experience 
healing, wholeness, knowledge of who God is. I want to invite you to stand, if you will, please. Some of you may be listening today came with one thought about who God is. Maybe, maybe you do have some facts and figures. You've learned some things along the way. But now you want to know him in a whole new way. To have an experiential knowledge of who God is. I want to invite you to pray with me so that you can know him. Maybe for the first time or in a whole new way. Would you pray with me? God, we do, even in this moment, we just breathe. Our culture has forced us to hurry in everything that we do. We have forgotten to breathe. God, would you begin to move in our hearts and our lungs to breathe you in, to be aware of your spirit, of your breath, so that we can begin to experientially know you. And God, for those of us who would say, I'm not sure that I know you, God, but today I want to know you. I want to desperately cry out to you. I have been dealing with hurt and brokenness and pain. If I could just touch your robe, Jesus, then I'll be healed. If anybody in this room or listening online is praying that desperate prayer, God, you promise that you are right there with us, forgiving us, renewing us and leading us. So Jesus, I ask you, I invite you to come into my life so that I can know you. Welcome back. I loved Pastor Jared's reminder today that our faith, our relationship with Jesus is about heart knowledge and head knowledge feelings and all of it together you just gave us such a great reminder that how we know God is relationally and the importance of reflecting on that and remembering that so this week I hope that you encounter God truly and deeply experientially there are so many opportunities for us to do that during the week whether through prayer gathering with believers serving just through in our time in scripture ourselves worship so many ways but i hope this week you experience him in some of those ways if you need prayer for anything this week as you go through we be sure to reach out you are part of a community you belong brothers and sisters in christ who want to pray for you with you support you so be sure to reach out to us you can reach out to us in person fill out a connect card reach out to us that way but have a blessed week we'll see you soon Bye.